Okay, we are live again on another edition of the Edlo Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I am here with a very special guest. I'm here with Michelle Quay. Michelle, how are you? I'm doing great. Great. Uh, thanks. Thanks for coming on. I found I found you on a website, and as we were going through it, I saw um, your story and was incredibly inspired because, um, well, first of all, you know. You, uh, how tall are you? I am four feet, four inches tall. Four feet, four inches tall. And from what I read, you, uh, when you were 11 years old, is that right? Yeah, I was 11 when I had a car accident. And ever since then, I've been either in the wheelchair or I'm currently walking with crutches. Wow. So, um, is that do you interchangeably do that or was there a time you were in a wheelchair and you've moved it to crutches how does that yeah. work yeah so i moved from wheelchair to crutches um so i was in wheelchair for uh over a period of four years um after mm. the accident and it was just going in and out of the hospital and the accident happened it was not here in the united states it was it happened in taiwan i'm an oh, immigrant wow. My family moved to uh, United States when I was 15. And prior oh. to that, I spent my whole entire childhood in Taiwan. And that's where the oh. accident happened. So after it happened, um, I was basically going in and out of the hospital the whole entire time and to recover, mm. to rehab, and my bone wasn't growing. So the doctor has to go back and operate on it. So I have a total of 13 um, scars on both of my leg. And for a long period of time, I couldn't, I couldn't walk. Um, I'm not paralyzed for, for goodness. Um, but you know, for that, during that recovery time, I was either in the wheelchair to recover, or I was in, in, in the hospital in, in the, um, in the operating room. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, so let's, let's back up a little bit. So, yeah. I, cause I noticed you have a little bit of an accent. So is English your second language then? It is. Um, uh -oh. I do have accent and I did not learn English until I came to this country. So when uh -oh. I came to this country, I was trying to going through that recovery journey of physically recovering, but also there's external challenge of I don't speak the language. This is yeah. not something that I knew um, I was born with. And so I was trying to adapt to the environment that I was in and trying to learn a different culture different language, making new friends while I was going through that physical recovery. Wow. So you get in this car accident, your legs, can, can you give us a little bit of a, an idea? I know we talked a little off air and you said that you don't remember much, just what, what witnesses have told you. What, yeah. what do you remember or what have you, what can you tell us about the collision itself? Yeah, so it happened, the accident happened when I was coming out from school one day and I was, uh, my mom was coming to pick me up. So I was running and just like every other kids after school, we were running in the field and I saw her coming and she was coming from the opposite side of the street. So I wanted to cross the street to meet her so that she doesn't mm. have to make a U-turn to come around. Mm -hmm. And as I was crossing the street, I remembered I turned around, I said bye to my friends. And then I heard all these chaos that was happening. It was just very busy. And next thing I knew, I know I woke up in the hospital bed. So what the witness has said was that there was a taxi that came super fast. It ran a light and it hit me and pushes me about a hundred feet away. And it was um, upon that impact, I completely lost my conscious and I had no recollection of 
what happened in between that time. Wow. Wow. So did they, uh, so the injuries to your legs specifically, I mean, did it drag you? Did you get hit and dra- dragged or did no, you get- No, it bumped me. It, 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 oh, it, okay. pushed me, it pushed me away. So it was mm. up on that impact. It broke both my, my uh, hip bone. Um, mm. Luckily it hit the, it didn't hit the right place. It, it hit the wrong place. So I mm. was not paralyzed. And you know, that was something that um, I guess it's a silver lining out of this is sure. that I'm still able to walk and function um, except without, I couldn't function without assistance. Yeah. Um, so that's what happened uh, when I woke up. I was already in the hospital bed, and I, doctor had put a cast, put cast over me. So mm. when I looked down, basically from my waist all the way to my ankle, I was uh, uh, wrapped with a with a with a cast. So mm. I couldn't move, and I knew. I remember there was a lot of pain. Um, but basically at that point, they, it, they were saying that, well, basically, um, kids usually they grow fast as you send her home, stabilize her and, and let the bone grow out. And mm. so that's what they did. They sent me home. I stayed in bed for about three months after the accident. And I had to go back to, to, uh, get a checkup. And during the checkup, the doctor found out that my bone was not healing. So they had to go in, go back in there and put some plates and, and pins in there to stabilize the bone so that it could grow. Mm. Yeah. Now, is this, this is on one side? On both sides. On both sides. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So now at the time when you were, um, uh, when you were a kid, uh, when this collision happened, um, were you... Were you tall for your age, short for your age, average size? What like, I was average size, like a yeah. uh, t- yeah. uh, what is it, 11? We're in the second grade or third grade or something like that. Yeah. So I was like average height, I wasn't like yeah. super tall. My you know, I my gene, my mom is not super tall, so I'm just uh, like average, average Asian kids. <laughs> yeah, now when you so then you, um, the so you, you come away thinking that okay, my bones are just gonna grow back and everything's gonna be fine. How long was it before you realized, okay, this is going to be life changing? Uh, four years. So I was 15. Oh, wow. By the time, wow. by the time I was ready to discharge, um, doctor basically gave me a pair of metal brace and also a pair of crutches. And he said that, you know, in order to stabilize your growth and, and make sure that your bone is growing properly, we need to put you in this uh, metal brace so that you can grow properly. Because um, as we grow, our body weight starts to weighing our bone down and you mm-hmm. don't want to have any deformity, and especially for young young children, young kids. Sure. So I was giving that pair of very ugly boots to wear, walking with crutches, <laughs> And it was not something a 15-year-old uh, teenager looked forward to. I want to wake up in the morning and dress up, and I want to look pretty, uh, just like everybody else at 15. But I couldn't do that. And that was the moment that it dawned on me that I would never look the same. I would never be able to go to the gym, exercising, running on the field, doing the uh, dodger, dodger ball <laughs> with, uh-huh. my, with my friends. Um, and, and that was the... That was my first aha moment as a kid at 15 years old, that I'm not going to be the same. And in a way, as a kid, it it almost feels good about it because now I'm getting attention, but it was not, it turns out it was not the attention that I wanted. Mm. And what do you mean by that? Like, what kind of attention were you getting? Like, was it more like sympathy or what was it? More like curiosity in the way that um, I took it as someone was judging me. Someone was always mm. curious about what ha- what's wrong with you. 
Mm. And, and, you know, I grew up thinking that people around me are just constantly thinking about what's wrong with me. And mm. initially, I don't mind explaining, but when you have to live your whole entire life explaining the things that you have to do, at some point, it's going to wear you out. At some point, you're going to mm. feel tired that why do I have to explain the way I am? I shouldn't have to. I'm just like you. I have feeling. I have ups and downs. I have good day and bad day. Why do I have to explain everything about me and, and explain to people what is wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with me. I just had an accident. And I almost wish that I had a cardboard that just hang around my, my neck. Like, here, here's what happened. Stop asking me and stop yeah. giving me the attention and actually treat me like a normal person. Right. You know, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because obviously nothing like what you're what you're dealing with but so like i'm i'm six foot seven which is tall right and i'm 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 very tall and it seems like everywhere i go everybody asks me the same question like how tall are you did you play basketball you know those types of questions and it gets a little annoying and and there's nothing and there's like nothing i can't imagine the whole reason to bring that up is i can't imagine if i get annoyed by that what you probably have to feel when people are constantly asking you about something like that and i'm actually surprised do people do some people uh, look at you and kind of not want to bring it up? Is it, is that almost patronizing? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Actually, I get the the extreme. There's people who's very curious and very open, and then they they come up to me and say, "What's wrong with you?" And there's <laughs> people who are just afraid, right? They're afraid to offend you. They don't want to bring bring the obvious up, and obviously yeah. they're curious about what's wrong with you, but they don't want to bring it up to offend you. So I get too extreme. And I keep saying, I, I, I keep telling people that this whole world, right? It's not mm-hmm. made for tall people. It's not made for short right. people either. Right. right. So true. It's funny. Uh, well, okay. So let me ask you then, if somebody is curious and wants to ask you, what do you think the appropriate way to do it would be? Just ask me. <laughs> oh, just say, hey, you know, yeah. So tell me about hey, what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about what happened. What's your story? And and I think now nowadays when when I look back to my journey, what I have mm-hmm. learned is that if you were to ask the same question to me years ago, when when it just happened, when I didn't work through my own personal personal um um that inner self, that personal mm-hmm. development, mm-hmm. I, I had a very different perception about the question that people are asking, right? It mm-hmm. used to be, mm-hmm. I, I would put up my defensive wall and say, you know what, how dare you thinking that I'm different? How dare you to treat me differently? How dare you right. to, uh, to discriminate or judge me for that? And and nowadays, after I work through what I needed to work through and what life had taught me is that I no longer see things the way, same way that I did before. So that same question, it's not about what we ask. It's about how we asked it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. same question you can ask from a place of love. You can ask from a place of judgment or hate. It comes out completely different. So it's not what we said, it's how we said it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I want to draw back to something you said a little bit earlier, though. You said you hadn't worked through your through everything yet. And I remember reading on your bio, you said you weren't just physically small, but you used to live your life emotionally small. What do you mean by that? I, I think physically, you know, I'm four feet four inches. So everywhere right. I go, people see that petite size of me and they they just automatically will treat me differently. 
oh, mm. you, you, you're not going to be able to reach this. Oh, you're not going to be qualified for this job. So, so there's that physical um, mm. sense of who I am. But mm. deep down inside, I was dealing through some emotional aspects of playing small. I wouldn't, I wouldn't raise my voice. I wouldn't speak up. I wouldn't, um, you know, show up and raise my hand. And you know what? This is my opinion. This is how I believe what I, what I believe in. And I'm mm -hmm. not trying to uh, convince you, but I want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear what I have to say. So in other mm -hmm. words, that emotional playing small is I was given a seat at the table, but I was not voicing my opinion. I was not voicing what I believe in. And mm. I was just really afraid. I don't want to draw the attention to me. I want to mm. blend in rather than standing out. Mm. So I want to ask you then going back to, because uh, I have a, I have a 12 year old daughter and I can tell you if you're saying like not, not voicing your opinion and being quiet uh, is living emotionally small. My daughter is the exact opposite of that. She has no problem giving me her opinion, has no problem. She's definitely not. Uh, so when you were 11, before this collision occurred, do you, did you kind of already have that? Did you have, were you shy or were you, how were you before the collision? Funny how you ask, because I was just uh, talking about this earlier. I, I used to do a lot of public speaking. My mm. my dad loved to enroll me into these uh, speaking contests. So oh. at age nine, I basically um, spoken at all these different places mm. and, and in front of my classmate, there's like 40, 50 people. I have no problem standing up to the stage and, mm. and talk about and, and deliver a speech. I was not the shy shy child in, in the family. I like the attention. I want the attention. And that mm. actually makes me feel like I'm being seen and I'm being mm. um, valued. And, sure. and that was like completely different to who I, who I was after the accident. So before that, I was no problem showing up and raising my opinion. And mm -hmm. I was a very opinionated child. So your daughter <laughs> and I can definitely connect. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. I have two daughters and they're both, they're both very opinionated. Maybe that has something to do with having a lawyer for a dad. But no, the, the, um, the, so, so the collision kind of changes you emotionally then. Yeah. What is it that kind of, you know, was it a, something specific that changed that or was it working through things with therapy? How, how did you change that up? So, so therapy, therapy is something that it's a hush hush in the Chinese uh, tradition, uh, in mm. the Chinese culture. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if someone is going through that therapy, that's some, something that we don't talk about in the family. Mm -hmm. And so so growing up, I never knew that there is such a thing as going to a therapy or seeing therapists because mm -hmm. that is just not a thing. So mm -hmm. growing up, I always been this um, very obedient child and very mm -hmm. basically my mom said, my parents said, oh, you got to go to school. You got to learn a skill. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to uh, have a skill. I went through uh, I went through all the way to get my uh, doctor's of pharmacy degree and I have the mm. skill. I'm able to to function. I'm able to earn my living. Not a problem. I don't need to rely on anybody. But, you know, going through that journey, it was accumulation of what um, these failures or these um, uh, obstacles that kept showing up that led to the fact that um, I just didn't believe in myself. 
Like even mm. though I had a doctor's degree, I do not associate myself to that title. I do not associate and see myself that this is something that I was able to accomplish. And it's not something that everybody can do. Not mm. everyone can get to that degree of having a doctor's degree and going through all these uh, schooling and have the skills to do what I needed to do. Not everybody could do it, but I could not uh, uh, connect and resonate and recognizing my own accomplishment. So, so there's a term for this, right? It's imposter syndrome. And oh, I yeah. have that imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Do you still have it? Or do you think you've uh, gone over that? I, I don't think you can ever get rid of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You can tam it. You can tam yeah. it. You can, you can make it quiet. You can let it be in the background, but you go out and do, do what you need to do. Yeah. You know, that's, it's so funny you bring that up because I, I think, a lot of people experience that. Like, for example, you know, I'm a partner here at my law firm. I've, I went through law school, working full time, did all that stuff. And what you said, like, I, I know I've done things. I've done things that I know that very few people would have been willing to do to get where I am. And I've been successful. But at the same time, there are times where I look around my office even and I'm like, when are they going to figure out that I'm I don't belong here? You know what I mean? And and uh, I wonder where that really comes from. I mean, where do you think that that comes from for you? I, I think every single one of us have that fear voice. It's a voice that constantly whispering. It's something that's in, in, innate. It's something that we, um, we just come with. But you do have the you do have the option to choose to to which side you want to listen. What's coming up for me is this uh, cartoon image of the evil devil standing on one yeah. shoulder and the angel standing on the and another shoulder. Right? Mm -hmm. you, we constantly have both standing on each side of us. But mm -hmm. then you, as a as a human being, you do have the you do have the ability to decide and which one do you want to believe in. And sure. you do have the ability to choose what do you want to 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 be um, uh, kind of like amplifying that voice. Like what 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 is it that you do? Will and and de depending on what you choose, will de will decide um, exactly how that outcome is going to be. So we yeah. have that ability to choose. Like, yeah. do I want to listen to this side? Or do I want to listen to this side? But they both coexist. It's like the yeah. yin and the yang, the black and the white. They both exist. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's so it's so funny we bring, bring this up because I was just thinking about this. In fact, I sometimes think that that imposter syndrome is what drives me to do the things that I do. Because, you know, you, you have that constant feeling like, oh, man, you know, I'm not as good as everybody else. So I got to work harder than everybody else. So you work harder to, to get there or, you know, you know what I mean? And then that next thing, you know, that causes you to kind of be successful in the things that you're doing. Now, do you think that that had any, you, you one of the things, reasons why we're talking is because you have this amazing story where despite your, you know, your physical uh, you know, some of the physical issues that you have, you decided that you were going to join uh, some gym mates to hike Machu Picchu. Yeah. And how did that come about? Now, I mean, before before we get into how that came about, let me ask you, before you decided to do that, were you still kind of in this, uh, I would say, kind of like this negative headspace where before you did that? Yeah. So I was actually towards the end of coming out and discovering what that negative headspace was. 
for me. Mm-hmm. And, and it was to the point where I, I wake up and I don't feel inspired. I don't feel motivated. I don't really feel mm-hmm. like the life has a meaning and purpose. So mm-hmm. before I decided to j- jump onto that journey to hike Machu Picchu, I was in a place where I was looking and searching for the meaning of life. Mm-hmm. And I kept constantly asking why, why, did, why does things happen to me? And why is it just me having to go through this accident? And why do I look different? So I was asking a lot of uh, question around, like, what is exactly my meaning of life? And when I was an imposter syndrome there, yes, absolutely. And I really think that the imposter syndrome came out of fear. And there is belief where, you know, we are born out of love or we are born out of fear. And I mm. believe that we, we are born, uh, everyone are born out of love. And mm. it's, it's the external conditions and beliefs and how we were raised and our family, our values that shape us to, to, see more fear or to see more love so mm. but but again you have that 50 50 chance of, of how you want to choose right so i was i was in that moment of i don't feel inspired by living in the fear then what mm. can i do what is it that i can do that maybe would give me that slightest chance of feeling more and experiencing more love and that was that brief moment, like brief second, where this voice, the voice of angel, started to kick in and say, well, maybe if you were to do this hike, if you were to be part of that conversation, maybe things will be different. And mm-hmm. it was that I was looking for that different being different and being mm-hmm. included as a part of the conversation somewhere. Mm. That was my that was my ultimate uh, decision to decided to to go and actually sign up to the gym. That was my very first step, just signing up to a gym. Mm. So okay, so when you said you wanted to be part of the conversation, you mean a conversation of people who were talking about climbing Machu Picchu? Uh, yes, part of that conversation, and also part of. Part of every day's conversation where I belonged in that in that conversation, mm. I was seen. It, it, conversation is just um, um, it's not something that literally conversation, right? It's more of a symbolic sense of yeah. I want to be included in everyone's conversation. I want to be seen, and I want to. I don't want to feel different. Every every time people turn around and say, "Oh, we're gonna go to the gym," oh, Michelle, you can't go because you don't go to the gym, or Michelle you can't do this because you don't do that or mm. michelle you're too short let's not do that and so i want to be part and included in the conversation where michelle let's go to the gym great i'm there let's mm-hmm. go right yeah yeah so the, the i wanted to ask you do you think that that because i bet a lot of people feel that way even people who don't you know have some of the the, the physical issues that you have i think a lot of people want to be a part of the conversation or feel like they're not part of the conversation but how much of that do you think was actually people keeping you out of the conversation versus you kind of keeping yourself out of the conversation, if that makes sense? It's never about the other person. It's always about ourselves. You know, what we're doing to ourselves that stop us from connecting with someone. And and what I often describe it as we're putting up this wall between ourselves to to the 
external to mm-hmm. our environment, to the people around us, right? So mm-hmm. there's all these judgments that we have, that self-judgment about who I am, what I stand for, and what I believe in. And each time we think that, oh, that person is judging us. We're creating a brick. We're laying down a brick. And that brick just get added one upon another until we create this big wall that no one can cross over it and we can cross over it as well. So mm. it's always about ourselves. It's never about the other person. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing I heard one time is said something along the lines of you'll stop caring what other people think when you realize how often, how, how, how little they do, you know? <laughs> and, and I think that, cause I, I think that so, a lot of people do that where they social anxieties were like, I don't want to be judged. I don't want to do these things when really, I don't think anyone really is, you know, or at least not as much as you think. And so, so what was it when you actually said to, because you went with a group, right, to Machu Picchu? So I went by myself, but I met oh. up with a group of uh, uh, friends that I call, hmm. I call them my friend now because, you know, we became friends. I met up with them from all over the world. So there's people came from Australia, UK, New Zealand, and we all came and, and hike it uh, as a group. But I went did, to uh, did you, did, by myself. Did you? Yeah, I was going to say, did you, you didn't know anybody in the group before you went? So no. you were just going to do this by yourself? Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. Man. I mean, so how, I mean, when you, you've been talking a lot about fear. Were you afraid yeah. when you got there? Were you like, I don't know how I'm going to do this or? Oh, oh, oh yeah. I, I was, <laughs> I don't know how clean your pocket is. I was going to say, I, I was scared as shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would imagine because because if I went by myself, I would be like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, guys. You know what I mean? And you're you're doing it with you're doing it yourself. And so you pick up these people and they're like, yeah, come with us. Yeah, well, so basically I went, I flew myself to uh, Cusco two weeks before the actual hike just to acclimate. Mm. Um, cause mm-hmm. it is at a higher altitude compared to the, the, to where we are now. Mm-hmm. And so at a higher altitude, you do want to have your body acclimate to that environment. And so I, I went uh, two weeks before, so I was in the town of Cusco. I was cruising around. I was having a great time. I went along and there's just me, my two crutches and the luggage flew myself there. I was enjoying the town. I went to all these, uh, Places I, I I had a lot of their delegate their um you know the, one of the one of their delegate is called a kui, and basically mm. it translates to guinea pig. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I remember coming coming home telling my nephew, hey, you know, um, because he was asking me like, what did you have? What did you eat? Was it fun? Sure. And I said, yeah, it was fun. I ate your guinea pig. I ate your hat. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so it was just really fun. I, I had a great time. Um, but was there a lot of fear? Yeah. Um, I remember before I went, I actually looked around. I did a lot of research. Um, how How is the rose? What does it look like? What are the stairs? How big is the stairs that I have to climb? Um, so I hiked through the Inca Trail. So there's a different way that you can get up to Machu Picchu. And mm-hmm. I, I chose the, the most ancient one the most mm. um, travel one um, wow. because it was also a challenge to myself that I can do this. And I wanted yeah. to prove to myself that I can do this. So I chose the uh, most, uh, the road, the less travel. And yeah. so I chose Inca trail and um, I did a lot of research and I also bought a helicopter insurance. 
And when mm. I bought the helicopter insurance, I was thinking, well, just in case I fall or I die, you know, somebody <laughs> has to has to come and pick me and fetch me, right? So, yeah. so let me just get the uh, helicopter insurance just in case. And yeah. I also um, um, hire a local uh, tour guy to walk with me um, mm. uh, just side by side, just in case mm. I need a more assistance, you know, because I've never been there. So I don't know what it actually mm. involved and what's going to happen. So in case I really couldn't make it, I need someone to be able to like at least go back and, hey, we need to uh, rescue this person. So sure. I, so I hire out of fear. I hire someone to walk Man. with me. Wow. I, you know, the thing that's that's so crazy about that for me is that, like, you're walking in there. I mean, you're getting insurance and a guide because you're like, if I die on this trip, someone needs to come and get me. Like, you're you're thinking to yourself, it is a legitimate possibility that I don't make it through this, but you're going to do it anyway. What what was it that what was it specifically that made you want to do that trip like that trip specifically? I, I think one one of the reasons why I chose Machu Picchu specifically was because the, we we talk about the seven wonders of the world, right? Yeah. When you when we hear seven wonders of the world, wow, you know, people actually conquer these. They, people went to Great Wall of China. People went to uh, the uh, Egypt, the, the the pyramids. People go to um, Mexico. People go to Machu Picchu. And in order for me at that moment to feel I was connected to the rest of the world, that I belong in this world, was the only thing that came up to my mind in my in my periphery was I need to hike somewhere that I am going to remember for the rest of my life. And yeah. I already did kind of semi semi Great Wall when I when I visit China. Um, mm. And and so we went and we took the uh, the the air airline um, or the cable to halfway, and I climbed another halfway to Great Wall of China. But you know that was just one that I checked off. So mm. I figure I can check off another one. And mm. Machu Picchu was my second one. My third one, I went to Angkor Wat. I went all the way to Angkor Wat in uh, Cambodia. So wow. I'm slowly checking off all the seven wonders of the world. Wow, man. So, so tell us about the trip. You, you go, you, you start the trip. I mean, how long did it take you? So it took me a total of uh, four days to complete the Inca Trail going into Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. um, every day we track about uh, eight to 10 hours Typically, mm -hmm. most people would be able to finish it in eight hours. Uh, for me, I you I took uh, ten hours because mm -hmm. the whole entire time I'm doing I, I walk with two crutches and I was doing a lot of push-ups, so I have strong upper body because of that. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> right, I was doing right. a lot of push-up for mm -hmm. um, over fourteen thousand steps per day. And wow. by the time I get to the campsite, so we camp outside. Uh, uh, in, a, in a tent, they, they have porters who travel with us, with carry their equipments. So they carry our tent, they carry our utensils, um, they set up the dinner, um, they prepare our meals. And so they're the one who's in charge and running with all these equipment. And it's if you think hiking for us is hard, 
these porters are amazing because they're running. They have to hike before you to set up the tent, to set up the meal. And they're just running. They, they, they are like, I don't know how they do it. Wow. <laughs> it took me 10 hours to finally get to the campsite. And so by the time I get to the campsite, my, both of my arms are sore. It was like burning. It felt like I, it was ready to be uh, chopped off. And so every <laughs> single night it was swollen. I have band-aid uh, wrap around my wrist just so that it, it helps with the swollen. And there was one night, my first night, it was just so painful that I had to ask the porter, hey, um, you know, it's really, really bad. Can I get, can you boil some hot water and can I get some hot water? And when you're in the mountain, it, those hot water and water period, it's just very hard to get. They have to travel far to get the water source and then come back and boil it for you. But it was just to the point where I needed something, anything would help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that also that first day, everyone would travel at a at a pretty decent de decent pace. And one of my my uh, one of the things I share all the time, you know, on podcasts or um, radios, is that um, my first day. Funny story. I was traveling so fast, so so slow that I was following the um, donkey. The donkey was traveling mm. faster than I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so that first night when we sat down, we got to the to um, camp, and the tour leaders um, set me down, and he said, "You know, Michelle, um, I totally get it. This is great, and you're inspirational. You know, I get it, and why you want to do this. But just to let you know, day two is going to be a lot harder. And are you sure you want to do this? Because after today, there's no going back. And so he want me to make a choice in that tent on that night." Do you want to go back? Because if you do, I can get someone to walk you back and, and we can just call it a day. But if you do want to continue, that's going to be very hard because it's going to be the longest day, longest night, and you're walking slower than the donkey. So I don't suspect that you're going to be able to make it. And I was sitting there in front of him. I was listening to the whole conversation and I was bursting in tears because I didn't come this far to be this far. I want to be on the hike. Sure. And it, I was so determined. I, I was almost at the point of begging him. I said, please let me stay and don't send me back. And then so his suggestion, so he listened and he said his suggestion was um, because you're taking longer. So why don't you start early? So usually mm. the rest of the group would start at seven o'clock. I started at five o'clock in the morning before dawn. And wow. so before the sunlight came out, I put on my headlight and I was happy. I, I just had to hike in the dark. And wow. that bought me that bought me extra two hours in order for me to meet the rest of the group on time on the second day. Wow, man. So you took four days. Uh, you're pushing up all the time. You're taking 15,000 steps. So um, was there ever a point in the four days where you thought about turning back? No. Never? <laughs> Never. Wow. I was determined. And, and I think um, for me, there's three rules in life, and I call them the 3D rules. And mm. the three Ds are determination, dedication, and discipline. Mm. Determination is that voice in our head saying, well, you know what? You can do this. And mm -hmm. determination is that voice that when everybody, you, all the naysayer is telling you not to do something, the uh -huh. determination is going to make you not smile and keep going. 
And yeah. that's what determination is. You're just going to not smile and just keep going. Yeah. So that's determination. Dedication is no matter how challenging it is, you're going to wake up five o'clock in the morning and you are going to keep pushing it and keep doing it. That's dedication to me. Doing something, not knowing what the outcome would be, but you're willing mm-hmm. to do it regardless of the fear, without, regardless of what's going to be on the other side of the mountain, disregard all the dangers that might be ahead of you, but you're dedicated to be on that path. Mm-hmm. So that's the second thing that I've learned. The third thing I have learned is the, the discipline. Right? The discipline is the fact that every single day when I push on my crutches, it's going to be painful. It's going to be a lot of discomfort. It's going to be a lot of pain, but I'm willing to show up anyway, and I'm going to do this. And so those three things really got me through that hike, determination, dedication, and discipline. Those are the three things that I would not live without for the rest of my life. Man, you know, I, I love everything you just said because I, I tell people the exact same thing. You know, I do I go to the gym, I, I work a lot, I do this podcast, I do a bunch of different things. And people ask me, they're like, how do you stay motivated? And I go, I, I don't. I don't stay motivated. It's not about the motivation. It's about the discipline. It's about it doesn't matter when I wake up if I'm sad or I'm tired or I'm hungry or, or what. I just get up and I do it because that's what needs to get done. And that is, I think what you just said, those three D's make the difference a lot of the times between people who are successful and people who aren't is, is being willing to do those things. And you're living proof of that. So tell me, how, how did it feel when you got to the end of that hike? I broke down in tears. I was crying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Man. Now, was that was that from happiness or pain or both? <laughs> it, it was a little bit of both, but it was yeah. very inspirational because on the last mm-hmm. day, um, you, we had to hike uh, in order to watch the sunlight. So, so the biggest mm. uh, selling point for going to Machu Picchu for most people is that they get to see the sunlight, um, the sun sunrise uh, on the last day before going into the ruin to Machu Picchu site. And they, they, people all gather from around the world coming to this place called Sun Gate. And that's mm. where the ancient uh, ancient Peruvian, they would go. And this is a place, it's a very sacred place. So Sun Gate mm. is the last place where we enter the Machu Picchu site. And so in order to get to the Sun Gate, you have to climb what they call the OMG steps. And the reason why they call it OMG step is because you're going to look up and you're going to you're going to respond with, oh, my God. And it was literally, <laughs> oh, my God, how on the on earth am I going to do this? And these are steps that we're talking about at a, at a 60, 70 degree angle. It's almost 90 degree angle. And most people, uh-huh. they, have, they, can, they can lean forward and they can balance themselves, right? But remember, I walk with crutches. So the steps, it's only about a foot wide. So mm. once I land on the, on the steps, then there's no places for me to land the crutches. So at mm. that point, I was looking at the LOMG step and I'm thinking how on earth I'm going to get up there. Mm-hmm. And so I pause for a minute and I'm thinking, well, this is it. This is the last 50 steps. I'm going to have to do this. How am I going to do this? And I, I turn around and there's the two leaders uh, standing next to me. And I said, here. So I took down my backpack, gave my crutches to that person. And I said, you go up there and meet me up there. 
And then it was at that point, I got down to my knees and hand, and I started to crawl the last 50 steps to Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I saw that on the video. I saw that on your video. Man, and if anyone listening to this, you got to go to a website and watch the video. It's crazy. I mean, like, you're, you were just like, you, I can, you can hear. The, I, what I thought was so great is those steps were just about as big as you are. <laughs> and, and then on top of that, you're, you, you can tell you're, you, you're breathing heavy and you're tired and you're just, you're just still going, taking a little rest here and there, but still going and never quitting. And it was just so impressive to watch. It was really inspiring. And, and I don't know if you caught the part where um, the, the guy up up on the top, uh, the tour leader, he was like, Michelle, let's go. Let's do it again. I'm like, no problem. We'll do it again after I have the burger. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you saying something on the lines. You're like, I, I, I earned two lunches, right? That's what I get two. Yeah, that's two lunches. Yeah. Starving at that point, I was exhausted, I was really tired, and all I could think of, and people ask me this all the time, what were you thinking when you're climbing the, the, the ladder, the stairs? And all I could think about was, I'm going to get through this so I can eat my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I can feel that too. I get, I get hangry myself, so I understand that. So, you get there, I mean, there, there had to be a huge sense of accomplishment. I mean, at that point, did you just feel like, okay, I can do anything I want? Yes, totally. It, it, felt, it felt very transformational. I mm -hmm. had no idea that this is what was going to be, this was even remotely possible. So when I, by the time I finished it, not only did I feel accomplished, but I also felt that I had the sense of purpose. I knew what I needed to do. I knew there's a there's a reason for me to be here. And along the way, I kept seeing these travelers passing by me. They turned around, they gave me thumbs up. They were like cheering me on. But you know, in reality, I'm also inspiring them to keep moving forward. And mm -hmm. I remember there's a there's a couple uh, on my on my on my tour on my on my team, and they were they came from Australia. And the girl was um, having a lot of uh, uh, high altitude syndrome, so she was. Mm -hmm. throwing up she was not feeling well she almost wanted mm -hmm. to give up but then but then we kept um cheering for each other let's do this we can do this just a few more steps and let's keep going so not only did i inspire her to keep moving forward but she also encouraged me to keep moving forward and that was the lesson that i learned that you we can we can never do this by ourselves there's no oh. reason why you should be doing things by yourself. There's always going to be people who, who celebrate you, who cheers you on. And those are the people that you want to be included in your tribe. And you know how we, we say, oh, go find your tribe. People around us, there's a reason for them to show up in our life. Like the reason why you and I are having this conversation here it, it was not. It was not by coincidence. It was a mm -hmm. synchronized event that happened in life, and so that was my purpose to show up to inspire others. So not only did I feel accomplished, I felt I found my reason of being. Yeah, and your reason being to inspire others. Yes. Yeah, you know, and I think the thing that you know, I was just thinking as you were talking, why is this so inspiring? And I think the thing is, is because it's so hard. And I think that that's what, I don't think people understand that, right? Like the, the things that you, the, the, the stories that we love hearing are the stories that are hard. 
like nobody gets excited about like yeah i got you know i got a degree in whatever and my parents paid for it and you know i didn't have to work i didn't have to do you know i mean not that those aren't great things but those aren't the stories you hear you hear the stories about someone who you don't think could but does hike machu picchu the people who worked their way all the way through school the people who defied the odds and that's because it's hard and i think that you know there's a lot of people out there who I had a guy come on, motivational speaker, and he said something I found really interesting. He said, the pain doesn't come from the difficulty. It comes from you feeling like you shouldn't have to go through the difficulty, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that that's, I think a lot of people do everything they can to avoid hard things, not understanding the the joy of of doing hard things and conquering those things that are so hard. It makes you, it makes you realize what you're truly made of. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I think life is hard in general, whether, whether you hike Machu Picchu or not, life is just hard and there's no if and buts about it. it. Life is hard period. But what I think is, is really, um, uh, absolutely, uh, fascinating about our human nature is that we resonate with the story of overcoming or the heroic or heroine story is because every single one of us has a hero that lives inside of us. Like you mm. are a hero, I'm a hero, everybody who is listening are heroes. And our hero's journey, and this can, did, did not come from me, this came from Joseph Campbell and mm. also Carl Jung, who talked mm. about there's a, there's a, the, the personal, personality archetype or the stories that we live in. And these are inherited stories that we all resonate. And as a human being, this is what we have lived through. And it's, this is what uh, uh, got passing down to us, right? These mm. are the carving on the wall in the ancient history and, and pyramids and all these uh, seven wonders of the world. They're carved onto the stone because inherently human beings have stories of a hero's journey. And that mm. hero's journey is about overcoming a challenge. And that challenge can be as small as I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting up to go to the grocery to pick up something, or I'm going to uh, just show up and do my podcast, despite the fact that I'm really tired. It's a long day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That little tiny challenge, no matter how big or how insignificant that you believe it is, it's an obstacle. It's the reason that stops us from doing the things that we love or passionate mm -hmm. about. And that makes it hard. So mm. the fact that we resonate with someone else's hero's journey, it's because we are hero ourselves and we are constantly overcoming those challenges, becoming the hero that we were meant to be. So living life, it's hard, but going through that hero's journey is what makes a hero a hero. And when you can recognize the fact that you are the hero right now, and you are this amazing, beautiful diamond that's just waiting to be discovered, then your whole life perspective is going to change. You're willing to show up and doing the hard thing because that is part of the lesson, part of the journey of what makes you become who you are. Uh, I couldn't agree more. You know, let me, let me ask you, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. So there's probably somebody listening who is in the spot you were in before you made the decision to do the Machu Picchu hike kind of in that negative headspace, you know, kind of a little down on their luck, feeling like they can't do things. What would you 
recommend to that person to make the switch in mindset that you made? Like what what do you what kind of practical tips would you do to get that person over the hump to even start a journey like yours? As you're talking, I'm getting a little emotional because I can totally feel that someone feeling stuck in that space of, I don't know what to do next. And this is not the place I want to be. And I think what really made a difference for me is I started to accept the unacceptable. What is my unacceptable? My unacceptable is the fact that I would never be the same compared to anyone else. I'm always going to have this disability. I'm always going to walk with crutches. I'm never going to be more than four feet, four inches tall. That was my unacceptable. But when I start to accept my unacceptable, things start to change. My mind starts to shift. Instead of asking what is wrong with myself, I started to ask, what can I do to make this work? How can I use what I have to make this work? And that's two different different, different questions. I, so I think someone who's listening, who feels stuck, it's not, it's not you know, where you are or what is it that you're doing that makes you stuck. It's the questions that you ask yourself that keep you from feeling stuck. So yeah. if you want to unstuck, if you want to move forward, ask yourself better questions. Not, yeah. not what's wrong with me, but ask yourself, what can I use what I have so that I can unstuck? So I can, I can do something differently. That That's such a good point. Because I think that is what happens. People get down on themselves when they're stuck. They, they, they're frozen in fear, right? Like they're frozen in a spot where they go, I can't do this because if I do, they think about all of the negative consequences that are going to happen. Right. Like we have a tendency to do that. We had another guy on who's a, a, a therapist who's studied the mind. And I remember him saying one time that, um, you know, I think our, our brains are prone to negativity, like 10 times more or something like that than positivity. And you have to actually change your mindset to actually look for those things. And so changing the, the questions is such a, is such a, a important part of that. So what is, you, you do this Machu Picchu trip and you've done other trips too. We could talk about, I mean, the great wall, you went to Cambodia. First of all, oh, before I go to that, what's next? What's the next trip? What are you doing next? <laughs> I, I was hoping, so I've been wanting to go to Egypt, but you know. The pyramids? The pyramids. Yeah, the pyramids. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, she's going to go to the pyramids next. So, so okay, so what, do you have a plan yet or are you, is that still on the works? That's still in the works. And and mm-hmm. in, in between the pyramids or the Kilimanjaro, you know, they're like, oh, yeah. 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 So I'm in a place where I need to decide which one, which one do I want to do next? <laughs> Man. So you're just going for all of them. You ever going to do Everest? Uh, maybe someday. I won't someday. say no, because we never know, right? <laughs> right. Never say never. <laughs> yeah. That's a man. That's a rough one. Ugh, yeah. That's a tough one because of all the uh, people don't come back from that <laughs> sometimes. So, so, um, what if, of all of these lessons that you've learned, yeah. if you had to pick one as the most Im- important lesson over the, over your life and how, how old are you right now? I am going to be 50 next year. You're going to be 50? Yep. <laughs> you don't look 50 at all. Holy cow. Okay, so this, so the, you've been you've been living with this for 30, 39 years almost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I went to law school, so I didn't have to do math. I'm proud of myself. So, <laughs> so 
Um, so you're going to be 50. You've been living with this for 39 years. Over those 39 years, what do you think is the most impactful lesson you've learned for success? I, I think the most important thing that I have learned is that every single one of us have this beautiful quality. It's your strength. It's mm -hmm. what you can do uniquely that is mm -hmm. you, that makes mm -hmm. you you. And, and one of the analogy I often use is like this diamond, right? Diamond, mm -hmm. how do we discover diamond? Diamond is buried mm -hmm. in the ground. It's covered with dirt. And nobody would recognize and ever think that this is a piece of diamond until mm -hmm. you dig it up, you open it up, you polish it, and then you you um, you undust it. And mm -hmm. these, you start to see the brightness of the diamond. Mm -hmm. And mm. so that is basically the strength that you have that you may not recognize. And I sometimes I call it the superpower. So I think mm. the biggest lesson that I have learned that each single one of us have a superpower inside of us. And you, it's your job to discover it, to know it, to know what it is so that you can be who you are uniquely mm. you. There's no mm. second copy. There's no replicate of who you are. Mm. And so, yeah. so I think that's the most important lesson that I have learned. Instead of looking myself of what I'm lack of, think mm -hmm. about all my strength, my unique quality, my characteristic that makes me stand out. And that yeah. is what people love to, to, to talk to me about. That's what people see me. And, and they see me because they see me, this mm -hmm. quality of who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, it's it's really important. Like a lot of the times, you you hear about that people who want to be seen, and they want to be seen for who they really are. Why do you think like, uh, and and I'm kind of like this too. I I seek external validation quite a bit. I think you know. I mean, I I like being, you know, uh, not that I always accept the compliments, but I like it when someone comes up and says you're doing a great job. You're do you're a great dad. You're a great attorney. Like whatever they say, you know, when they say it. But why do you think that that being seen for who you really are is so important? It's it's a sense of recognition. It's a sense of a belonging. And and mm. I think there's no human on this planet who do not want to feel belonged. Mm. And, and that's one of the value that I have is to have that sense of connection and have that sense of belonging. And mm. when we belong, we feel connected, we feel understood. And, mm. and I think that's very important for us to feel that we are understood. Someone gets mm. us. And that mm -hmm. makes us feel like we're part of something that's important. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if you think about our, our culture and our society as a whole, there's not a single one of us who's individual. We all belong to something else. There's interconnectedness in this world yeah. that, that, that we need to come and, and recognize because each and every single one of us are interconnected. I, we went through uh, tragic. We went through a difficult time, the adversity, for example, like years ago when we were all shutting down, we're, we still, even though we're not seeing each other, but we're still connected. Why? Because that there's that inherited interconnectedness out of human nature that makes us wanting to belong to something. And that belonging mm -hmm. is so important that when someone say, oh my gosh, um, uh, Josh, I recognize your work. The, the, it fulfills that satisfying feeling of belonging. Oh my gosh, yes, I do belong. I've been recognized. Here I am. I'm part of something bigger. And mm. that being part of something bigger is important for us.
Do you, um, what would you recommend somebody do if they don't feel like they're being seen or that they are, that they're visible? Is there something that they can do to, to harness that? Speak up, use your strength. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Everything that we had talked about so far, it is yeah. about getting yourself seen, being yeah. heard. Your opinion, your voice matters, and there's mm. no right or wrong. Like there's mm. only there's only judgments that we press upon each other that stops mm. us from showing up. And and your daughter can testify this. Like when yeah. she voices yeah. she voices opinion, she doesn't care about what you think. She's voicing her opinion, and that's yeah. what we need in this world we need to put aside our own personal personal um agenda we need to put aside our judgment against each other and just really truly listen to each other and when you do that people feel validated people feel seen and when you do that we start gathering a piece of the strength from there everybody's talent so we're all sitting at the table but we're all contributing to a bigger cause or to a bigger impact, making a bigger difference. Man. And so the world needs a little bit of everybody. Well, you know, okay, this is going to sound a little strange. So don't, so, so don't take it the wrong way, but I'm grateful for the adversities you've gone through because you are an incredible person. Like, you know, sometimes you think about these things. I think about the things in my life that, that I've gone through that were, you know, adversities that I've gone through. And I noticed that those things, as I look back, obviously it never feels good when you're going through it. But when you look back, you realize it made you a more empathetic person. And I, I can tell like your story is going to inspire so many people to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do. And you do that through coaching, right? You're, you're a coach as well. Yes, I am a coach. Um, so I started out as a life and mindset coach and, and I was working with a lot of uh, negative self-talker, that imposter mm -hmm. syndrome, that what mm -hmm. I was struggling with. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, you know, about that recognizing our own strength. I realized as I was building my life coaching business, I realized that my strength is in marketing. So mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, I pivoted because I know there's a lot of life coaches and mindset coaches mm -hmm. who's struggling to get their voice heard, to, to help more people. And so now, now I'm a visibility and marketing coach. I work with uh, female coaches to help mm. them to get their voice out, to have a voice in the market so that mm. they can help more people. So wow. <laughs> I started to help more people so that they can help more people. Yeah. Wow. So you're just, man. So the, the inspiration is just going, it's just a big ripple effect now. You're just yes. affecting everybody. Wow, that's really awesome. Well, let me um, let me ask you a few questions that I ask everybody uh, that I think are real important. So we, we've talked a lot about some successful stuff, but what do you think has been, if you could nail it down, what do you think has been your most, uh, your biggest success in life? My biggest success in life is that I, I think through the journey, I was lost at some point and being lost means that I didn't know who I was. I was constantly following others, um, um, their, their kind of cookie cutter way of living life, right? Mm -hmm. um, all, all women should look this way. All people should dress certain ways. And so I was kind of follow their footsteps and wanting to become who they are. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I think my biggest success is finding myself and knowing that I can bring so much, so much impact, so much difference and mm. affecting so many people just by mm. 
who I am. I don't、mm. need to be someone else. I don't need to look like another woman on on Instagram. I don't need to have like amazing physical body in order to feel attractive. I am. I already am. And so、yeah. I think that's been my biggest accomplishment. I think without my yourself, there is nothing that matters、yeah. if you don't have yourself. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. What would you think、uh, if you could pick? What would be your biggest failure in life, and then what did you learn from it? My biggest failure in life—that、um, one is hard. <laughs> yeah. Because I think I think we learn from our failure, right? Yeah. So even the biggest failure, you learn something out of it. And、yeah. I, if I were to think about my biggest failure, it would be, I think, my relationship. I I end、mm. up、um, I, at some point when I was in my thirties, I started to dream about maybe there's significant others. You know, maybe I can get married, but. I think if we were to look at the standard of、um, how we perceive relationship and what means what it means to have a successful relationship, then I probably belong to the failure part. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. But but I think you know again, it's a lesson learned, right? And、mm-hmm, and so、mm-hmm. I don't see it as a failure per se from my perspective, but from、mm-hmm. the overall society's、um, perspective, people still come up and ask me, "Are you going to get married? Are you are you seeing anyone?" And to me, it just it's not important. <laughs>、mm. Well, you know, and here's the thing, though. The thing about that is because I I have a lot of friends who have you know. They've been divorced, or they've、mm-hmm. you know they've had long term relationships didn't work out, all these different things. The thing is, is you only have to have one that works, right? You just have to have one that actually works. Even if you've had one that hasn't, or a few that haven't, or a hundred that haven't, you get the one that works, and it doesn't matter what age you are. It's pretty special. So,、mm-hmm. you know, so that's a、uh, that's awesome. So, last question I ask everybody. One day,、mm-hmm. we hope it's long way away,、uh, but you're going to pass away, and there's going to be a funeral, and then someone's going to give a eulogy. What would be the、mm-hmm. one thing you hope somebody says about you in your eulogy?、Uh, I would, I would hope that people remember me by my humor, and、mm. and people remember me for the fact that I keep counting down to Christmas. So did you know? <laughs> did you know there are seventy six days until Christmas? Oh man! <laughs> As of the recording, that stresses me out. That that stresses me out. I got four kids, and so now I'm like, oh great, what am I gonna get them for Christmas? Problem for me is, is my kids. They're all their birthdays are like October, November. Like they're so it's just yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of steps together. Don't freak me out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have a thing about Christmas, and I love Christmas because it's a sense of warm connection. It's family reunion. It's everybody gathering together. So I love that cozy, warm feeling. So、mm-hmm. I always look forward to having Christmas. So I come down、yeah. every on my social media posts, and people keep saying, "Oh, oh don't go." So, so I hope people remember all the funny side of, about Michelle, and、yeah. that's going to carry them and it's going to warm their hearts, even though、mm. I am not around. They're going to carry my love and spread that love. Okay, now we have to have a very serious conversation about this Christmas <laughs> thing. So, do do Christmas movies? Do you start watching them before or after Thanksgiving? Uh, before. Oh, oh <laughs> you're one of those people. 
I'm, I'm one of those people who start listening to Christmas music in October. <laughs> yeah, I know. The whole world is against me on this. I just, I, yeah, I have a strict rule with my kids and they hate it because all now all of the, you know, all the stores, they, they start putting up Christmas stuff in October. So I tell them, I'm like, we don't get to watch any Christmas movies until Thanksgiving evening. And then we can watch one every single day. And they always, they always get mad at me and don't listen. And they start watching them way early. Yeah. And just to uh, rub you off the wrong way, I started listening <laughs> Christmas music started in July. We thought it Christmas in July. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. Well, hey, where, where can people find you if they want to they wanna learn more? They can find me through my website at elevatelifecoaching.org. Or they can go to any social media. I'm, a, uh, I'm on all the social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Awesome. And are you, uh, do you still do speaking engagements? I do. And I would love that we, if anyone who know anybody who needs a motivational speaker, they know where to look for me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. It's, uh, it, I love these ones. I love the ones that are inspiring stories because, you know, I hope that someone listens to this today and realizes that uh, it's, it's all about your mindset and nothing is impossible. And you've proven that. And so I, I think it's just great. Let's keep in contact. We'll have to have you on again. And uh, as, so, as soon as you hook, hook up on that uh, that pyramid thing, I want to hear how that goes out. Or, or, or Kilimanjaro, whichever one you decide. I was just so. going to take you. Oh, there we go. We go together. Perfect. You'll probably outrun me. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, thanks everyone for coming uh, and listening. And uh, don't forget to subscribe. And Michelle, it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.